Support for Away With Words comes from Mosey Online Backup. Mosey protects your valuable computer files against data loss from hard drive crashes, viruses, theft, and other disasters. Find out more at mozy.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Recently, the newspaper in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, invited its readers to share the unusual names that the kids and their families give to their grandparents. Well, the response was so overwhelming that the newspaper published a whole grandparents' glossary with dozens and dozens of these names. And Grant, it's astounding how many different names we give to grandparents. You know, there were the predictable ones like Grammy Mm -hmm. and Gaga, but then the list went on and on with all these made-up names that were funny but also really endearing. Yeah, because a lot of the names were coined by the children. They misspoke and said something funny, and everyone thought it, they were talking about the grandparents, or maybe they were, and it became the grandparents' name, right? Right. One of my favorites was Dadu. This little boy whose grandmother used to read a lot to him was so captivated by her rendition of a rooster crowing, cock-a-doodle-doo, that he started calling his grandmother Dadu, and, <laughs> which I just love. And That's the name nice. stuck, and her family wrote to the newspaper that she was still his Dadu when she passed away last year at 91. Oh, let's see. I was also interested to see, it seemed as if... Uh, Some grandparents are called different things by their different grandkids. It's not always the same for all of their grandkids, right? Right. Reading this story made me wistful. I was kind of wishing that I'd come up with some of these clever names like Bumpy and Knock Knock. Bumpy and Knock Knock. (laughs) Those are nice. Those are very nice. Yeah, actually Knock Knock was a name that this kid gave to his babysitter because they used to go knock on the babysitter's door when he was being (laughs) dropped off. Yeah, the associations there are strong, right, between those important figures in their lives and something they enjoy doing. Yeah. Let's go. Well, we'd love to hear your crazy names for grandfathers and grandmothers or other members of the family that uh, for some reason they're called something out of the ordinary. Not aunt and uncle, not grandma and grandpa, but maybe Biba and Boo Boo. (laughs) You can call us at 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. You can call us Biba and Boo Boo, too, for that matter. (laughs) Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Leanne. Hi, Leanne. Where are you calling from? I'm calling you from Blacksburg, Virginia. What can we do for you today? I'm curious about the word watershed. Uh Uh-huh. Now, what has you curious about that word? Well, you want to hear the story? Sure. Tell us the story. This is the one unanswered question from my graduate school. Uh, 25 years ago, in a history course in graduate school, my professor used the expression... um, a watershed moment. It was a watershed moment in history. My professor um, was German, so English was his second language. I had a classmate from Korea, so English was his second language. And my Korean classmate asked my professor, what is watershed? And my professor stood there and said, I don't know. And I have just been curious about it from that day. And I figure there's a literal meaning and a figurative meaning, and I'm uh-huh. curious about both of them. That's so great. Do you have a guess about it? Well, um, I, I've had some thoughts about it because I live in the Chesapeake Bay watershed, according to the sign on the interstate. And I wonder if from a certain point of elevation, the water must flow in Virginia toward the Chesapeake Bay. So I'm wondering if a watershed is water 
um, you know, a point from which water flows in a particular direction. Brilliant. But I've also wondered if if it was a little house over the over the well. Leanne, that's what confused me about watershed forever. I couldn't picture it. I, I was like your professor. I I don't know, Grant. What did what did you do? I pictured a, a shed full of water suddenly overflowing, and it was some oh, I, cru- I, crucial I, point. I, I pictured a whale or a submarine breaching the surface of the ocean, and the water literally shedding off of the of the rounded you know front of or top of it. Yeah. Here's the key to it, Leanne. In English, for hundreds of years, the word shed has also meant a separation or a parting. And in fact, in the Middle Ages, if you talked about the shed of my crown, you were talking about the part in your hair. Ah. Oh, I've had a a crooked shred for a long time. And so your instincts are right when you when you talk about a landscape, a watershed is a ridge of high land and it separates the two areas that are drained by different river systems. Ah. So it's that dividing line, that kind of fork in the road to mix a metaphor. So a watershed moment then, Martha, is is what? How do we get from the continental divide to a watershed moment? Ah, good question. Well, it's that dividing line. I mean, I suppose that your professor, Leanne, was talking about a dividing line in history, right? Mm -hmm. I I assume so. Right. Uh, I see. So it's a moment which really separates two fundamentally different eras. Right, right. It's it's a great metaphor now that I understand it. (laughs) Yes. Things were different from this point on. And now they're different for you, Leanne, right? Because you understand... They are. This is a watershed moment in my life because now <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I feel like I've earned my graduate degree now. <laughs> you have. <laughs> Thank you so much. Congratulations, Leanne. <laughs> Thank you for your call, Leanne. Bye. Up on the watershed. Did, do you know that Indigo Girls song, Grant? That's what I always think of. I think I've heard that one before, yes. You know, years ago in the Pleistocene era, I was in a band and we covered that song. I think it's called Watershed. We'll have to link to it or play it. Yeah. Well, if you've got a question about a word that's been bugging you since you went to school, we'd like to help. Give us a call, one 929 9673 That's 1-877-WAYWORD. Or if you're in front of a computer, you can send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Jonathan from Austin. Hi, Jonathan. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. What's on your mind? Well, um, I've listened to your show a total of one time, and I thought, aha, this is a solution to finally get an answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope you can help. So about yeah, eight sure. years ago, I lived in Dublin, Ireland, and experienced a linguistic idiosyncrasy that's puzzled my wife and I to this day. When we first arrived there, I had a leasing agent in Dublin showing me some office space and mm-hmm. quickly became aware that at the end of every other sentence or so, he would audibly inhale <gasps> like this. And it was a little disconcerting. And, um, you know, at first I was kind of filled for, with compassion for the poor man, and I thought he had impar- you know, his apparent medical condition. And, <laughs> um, and of course, <laughs> you know, I didn't reference it with him, and, and my wife and I had had subsequently heard this with other people, including my executive assistant, who had the same sort of quirk. And, um, you know, at first we're concerned about this great Irish respiratory illness that apparently no one had heard of, but uh, I finally came to realize it was probably more cultural than medical. So have you guys heard of this peculiarity? Yes. Yes. Oh, Jonathan, this is so great because linguists are talking about it. It's called the pulmonic ingressive. (laughs) The pulmonic ingressive. 
Yeah, isn't that oh, great? I like that. Yeah, it, and the pulmonic is re- related to pulmonary. It has to do mm-hmm. with the lungs and ingressive, drawing air in like that. And it's not just in Ireland. I mean, you're right to detect it there in Ireland, but it's not just there. It's on just about every continent. It, you hear it a lot in Scandinavian languages, for example. Interesting. It's an element of speech that does have meaning, doesn't it, Grant? Yeah, it can. And it varies um, from country to country and language to language. One of the reasons that we know that it has meaning, there was a really interesting study done of Swedish speakers who use a similar kind of ingressive. And what this linguist did was to divide people into two groups, and they were trying to make travel reservations on the phone, and some of them were talking to actual travel agents, and some of them were talking to what they thought was a computer on the phone. The people who were talking to actual people and knew they were talking to actual people used that ingressive during the conversation, but people who were talking to the computers did not. Or the, wow. And so clearly it seems that it has a certain kind of meaning, either giving feedback or, or uh, right, expressing right. <laughs> like that. Is that yeah, what? that was my joke. Oh, you got yeah. it. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. Or um, expressing solidarity or, or affirming what the other person is saying. And did you hear it in those kinds of situations, Jonathan? Well, you know, the, the, the one I distinctly remember was the, the leasing agent who was, uh, who was attempting to sell us property or sell us at least a lease. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I suppose that what you're saying matches with sort of a sales context, like, you know, you agree with me, right, or I'm, I'm in with you, something like that. Ah. That's exactly right. That, that would make perfect sense, wouldn't it? He was, he's confirming for you with this cultural sound that what he's saying is good and positive, and it's something that you should agree with. Right. But actually, he was freaking you out. <laughs> <laughs> right. We didn't know how long he had on this earth. So, you know, we're not sure if we're going to get our lease with him or not. <laughs> That's great. Well, that's fantastic. You solved the riddle. My wife will be pleased to hear this. It's just been puzzling us for so long. Thank you very much. <gasps> <laughs> Thank you so much for calling. All right. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. 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 <laughs> Let's say those words again so people can do a little Googling and find out more yeah. about that. It's, it's, what is it again? It's pulmonic ingressives, pulmonic right? Pulmonic ingressives. P-U-L-M-O-N-I-C-I-N-G-R-E-S-S-I-V. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know what we could do is put some links on the website, too. I am the link master, yes. You are. You are link man. Just in case you haven't gotten enough of the pulmonic ingressive and you want to hear more, <laughs> go to our website. That's waywardradio.org. And you can always call us. The number's one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. A while back, we had a call from someone who was asking for a word for those dirty chunks of ice that build up in your car's wheel wells during wintry weather. Boy, that's alliterative, isn't it, Grant? Do you remember that? I do remember that, and we decided that that we would call those somebody else's job. No. (laughs) (laughs) Not my responsibility, right? I think you decided that. But we did talk about several possibilities like snard, which is a That's combination right. of snow and hard. Carsicles. Carsicles. Like and then we asked you to tell us your words for that stuff. And boy, a lot of you must live where it's cold because we received an avalanche of responses. On our discussion forum, some folks suggested chunkers, slush puppies, and Pete from Saranac, New York, wrote to say that he calls it slung, which is a combination of slush and the past tense of sling because it's slung up under your car. Sure, I can see that. And then Matthew from Madison, Wisconsin, writes that he derives great satisfaction in kicking those chunks off the car. 
It's the same kind of satisfaction I get from vacuuming up dust bunnies. So my word for the stuff, he goes on, is kickies because I love to kick the chunks. I love that. Sort of like squeezing bubble wrap, only colder. But there was one that I liked even more, and you haven't mentioned it it yet. Finderbergs. That was so weird. We received that suggestion from two different people, from Donna in Wisconsin and Holly in Maine. They both wrote to tell us they call those things Fenderbergs. Ooh, is... super secret psychic sisters. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Do you think so? <laughs> Maybe. Come on, Donna and Holly, come clean. Anyway, Fenderbergs. I like that one, too. Fenderbergs and Kikis. Well, we're still taking your names for what you call that messy ice in the wheel well of your car. Send it to words at waywardradio.org or... Leave a message for us at one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Oh, word puzzle and more of your calls. Stay with us. You're listening to Away with Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and we're joined now by the one and only Greg Pliska. Hello, Grant. Hello, Martha. Hi, Hi Greg. Greg. You're still a quiz guy, right? I think so, or a puzzle quiz, or a puzzleist, or a, a puzzle quiz, a puzzle quiz. I like that. That's nice. Yeah, puzzle quizifer, quizifer, quizzle. I'm a quizzle. I'd like to be a quizzle. Yeah, you're quizinator. A little bit. Yeah, quizinart as well. <laughs> oh, quizinart. What's oh, your puzzle man. today? What do you got there? I'm ready to go. Start oh, it. You guys, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. Well, this week we're going to play with welded palindromes, mm-hmm. which are two word phrases which are spelled the same forwards and backwards. I like to call a phrase like this a word row uh. for obvious reasons. So here's an example of how this works. I'll give you a clue to the phrase. You tell me the phrase. Like what palindromic two-word phrase can be clued by beige bug? Tan nat. Tan nat is <laughs> oh exactly God. right. Yes. So T A N G N A T. That's it. You got it. Okay, number one. A place where Andean pack animals shop. <laughs> llama mall? <laughs> A llama mall, of course. That's funny. Very good. Um, nice. Uh, how about the length of time you can rest in the afternoon? Yep. And and nap and nap pan and mm. the mm. length of time you can rest in an afternoon. Yep, you siesta. Need, what? You need a little. <laughs> you, know, you were very close, Martha. You needed a pivot letter in the <clears throat> middle there. You needed to stick something between nap and pan. Uh huh. Length of time you can rest in the afternoon. Oh, how about nap span? Your nap span, oh, nap span. absolutely, okay. absolutely. Like, well, how, what's your great. boy's nap span, Grant? Uh, about an hour and a half. There you go. See, Satan on SNL. Satan. <laughs> uh, so that would be SNL, like Saturday Night Live, like Devil Live, something Devil. Your yeah, yeah, Devil. Just put them the other way around. Live devil. He would be a live devil. Live oh, devil. That's right. Sure. Live from, from New, New York. York. It's <laughs> Satan. <laughs> Satan is almost, you could do a palindrome with Satan, too. It's really Sodom and Gomorrah here all the time. Anyway. It is. I'm <laughs> surprised for anyone. Here's one uh, for all the drinkers in the group. Really bad addition to a martini. Evil olive? 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> Satan live had an evil olive. Right. Well, I was starting with vermouth, but that just didn't. That did see. That's where I was those working th- on gin, work. and I'm like, oh, that doesn't go any place happy. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. That's good. Yeah, evil olive. It, it'll give you a gut tug if you have too many evil, right. evil olives. It will. Here's one for the for the 21st century. Unwanted atlases in your inbox. <laughs> map, spam, spam maps. <laughs> or, yes. Spam maps. <laughs> spam maps or map spam, either one. <laughs> Stop sending nice. me that map spam. <laughs> I know where I'm going. <laughs> the reason why he was called the menace. Dennis Sind. Yeah, oh, Dennis Sind. That's an old chestnut. All right. How about one more, Greg? One more. Apparently I'm not cut out for palindrome. That's all I want to say. There you are. <laughs> um, a thin layer of fauna. A thin layer of fauna. So fauna is some kind oh. of animal. Um, you actually said it. You actually said one of the words. Animals. Yeah. Animals? A thin, a thin layer of fauna. Lamina. Oh. would be oh. an animal lamina. Oh, my <laughs> heavens. <laughs> well, Greg, these were real brain busters. She she got them all right. I got nothing here. <laughs> Losing is just as much fun as winning. Thanks for coming today, Greg. Go, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Well, if you have a question about wordplay, language, grammar, slang, regional expressions, strange old sayings, or palindromes, call us. The number's 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWARD, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Grant and Martha. This is Mandy McMurdy from Wiley, Texas. Hello, Wiley, Mandy. Wiley, Texas. How are you doing, Mandy? Good. How are you? And who's that in the background? Oh, it's it... my kids. I'm hoping they're not too loud for you. No, that's oh, no. all right. Oh, no. We love kids. Well, my husband is a huge Seinfeld fan, and, you know, he's like one of those guys that can quote full scenes from the show, even though it's been off the air for, what, 10 years now? Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> it seems that Seinfeld has become, you know, a huge part of America's pop culture. It's also contributed a lot to the slang of a vocabulary, or at least it has to my family. So I have a few popular Seinfeld phrases, and I just wanted to run them by you and see if you know where the origins are from. Oh, is this a wow. quiz? No, it's not a quiz. I need your help. Oh, I have no oh, idea where okay. they come from. All right, shoot. Let's hear them. What you got there? Okay, well, the, uh, the most common is yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And that's the probably the most popular phrase that comes from Seinfeld. And my husband has made up a curse word to replace other less desirable phrases. <laughs> like he says, Newman, when he stubs his toe or something. And I kind of caught on to that and say it all the time, too. And I think that originates from <clears throat> when Jerry meets his arch nemesis, Newman. He's like, hello, Newman. And he says, hello, Jerry. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so I don't know if anybody else says that or if it's just, you know, <laughs> our family that does that. And then there's the soup Nazi and no soup for you and stuff like that. So you got any ideas where they come from? 
Oh, yeah. Let's knock these down one at a time real fast. Okay. Yada, yada, yada. Right. Although Seinfeld is often given credit for it, it, it existed before the show. It goes back to at least mid-1940s as yatada, yatada, yatada. And, of course, we've often said things like yap, 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 or yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. But that whole idea of a repetitive phrase that means more talk, more talk, more talk um, wasn't new with Seinfeld. And um, But, again, credit for popularizing, though, definitely goes to him because definitely. that show was immensely popular. Is it not on in reruns there? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, because it's We just have a basic channel, so besides if he watched it, I mean, if it were on, he would watch it all the time, so it's probably... (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, and you don't even need the reruns, right, because he knows all the the episodes already. He can just do them for you, Yeah, they're all in his head, yeah, (laughs) exactly. But the Newman thing I really like, because it's right, Wayne Knight played this kind of annoying character on the show and every time that he would come in to Jerry's apartment, usually uninvited, with some kind of smarmy smirky look on his face and some like harebrained scheme that would, you know, get Kramer and or Jerry into lots of trouble you're right, Jerry would go hello Newman, like that in a really scornful voice and it's and the way Jerry says it is very catching so I could easily see why it would become kind of an epithet in your house hmm. and then, um, what else did you ask? You asked about no soup for you, right? The soup no Nazi. soup for you. That one has got a life. It's got legs, as they say. Uh, no yes. X for you. It's what we call a snow clone, which is where people have taken the original phrase, no soup for you, and then they put a new word for in place of soup. So it'll be, you know, um, no cheese for you, no car for you, no no whatever, no nookie for you, whatever the expression is. Um, can I say that? I don't know. Sure. Um, so, so yeah, that one's definitely still common. You'll even see it in headlines. Newspaper writers love that phrase, no whatever for you. Hmm. And, and that started with Seinfeld? Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Although the soup Nazi was, a, an original, was originally a real soup little restaurant in New York City. But the, well, I the, heard about that. Was he, did they call him the soup Nazi or was that just a catchphrase? I believe that was the name of his place, but I, my memory my memory fails me. But I believe the place was called the Soup Nazi even before the show. But there have been a couple of restaurants in New York City which are notorious for having this guy behind the counter who's very stern. There was a sandwich shop in Soho. It may still be called Malampo's, which is the same way. You could only order what was on the menu. If you wanted the single one substitution or anything different, he would just kick you out of his store. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you, Mandy. Uh, there's an article that was published in 2003 in Verbatim, the Language Quarterly, and it was written by Paul McFedries, who is a oh, – oh, he runs a site called WordSpy, and he's done a whole multi-page article on Seinfeldisms. So it's all these expressions mm. that are pretty popular and that have come from the show. And so we'll, wow. we'll put a link to that on the website. You can take a look there and get a little more background on these crazy things that your husband is saying. That would be cool. Thank you. Super duper. Thanks for calling, Mandy. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Did pop culture lodge something in your brain that you want to know more about? Call us. We'll help get it out. 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWARD. Or send it an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. This is Lynn calling from Montero, California. Uh, hello, Lynn. What's Hi, going Lynn. on? Hi. I was watching a show on, um, like, dog rescue, and so they put they placed the dogs in actual homes to evaluate the dog's temperament, and then they showed the dogs back at the, the kennel, and they had um, signs on the cages saying what kind of temperament the dog had. And they showed this one dog all curled up, and the sign said, Couch Potato. And and I was wondering where the phrase came from because I 
you know, I use it and I've heard it as long as I can remember. And I think it's a great phrase, but I was curious as to the origins. Was he um, lumpy and brown and had lots of eyes? <laughs> no, actually, actually, he was uh, like a lab. Okay. So by couch potato, Lynn, you guessed that they meant what? That he just liked to lie around on the couch? Yeah, that he was a dog who would be just as soon spend his time laying on the couch hanging out than, than anything else. So an, mm. e- an easygoing dog who didn't require a lot of exercise or um, attention. Mm-hmm. And you want to know where couch potato comes from. Well, here's the story. It's been reported in many places. One of those is in the book called Predicting New Words by Alan Metcalf, who is a linguist and lexicographer, and he's a, he's a dialect scholar as well. And in this book, Predicting New Words, he talks about couch potato and its history. And the short version of his story is that there was a, a group of men from Southern California who used to get together to watch television. And this is in the 1960s or 70s. And so one of the fellows made a joke on the fact that they were all sitting around watching the boob tube, and he called one of the people watching the boob tube a tuber. And then later, because a tuber is a potato, he called them potatoes. So somebody sitting on the couch watching the tube is a couch potato. You see the logic there, how it, uh-huh. it goes from boob tube to tuber to potato? Huh. Well, and yeah. fast forward a few years, and these fellows kind of became uh, you know, a quasi-official group of men, and they entered a float in the Pasadena Duda Parade, and this was, what, 1979, I believe it was, and a story ran in the local paper about the parade, showed their float. They were interviewed, uh, I believe, by the media, and people got to see their float, which featured, ta-da, couch potatoes, and that kind of was the the launching point <laughs> of that word. These guys, they put out books, they did interviews, they had T-shirts and bumper stickers and the whole kit and caboodle. They made a big deal out of their the term that they came up with. Yeah, they, they oh, trademarked it. I miss this? They, how they did you miss it? it? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm 55, so, you know, I should have, I, 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 I don't know how I missed Lynn, all this. it's probably to your credit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so bummed. I really would have. <laughs> And, no, I mean, I would, I'm, I'm serious. I think it's probably to your credit because basically they got a lot of attention, made some money off of it, and, and it's all goofy anyway. But I think the other reason that the term uh, you know, really succeeded is not just because these guys made a big deal about this word, that they, this term that they coined. It's because we needed it. We, we needed sure a did. term for people who are lounging around on the couch doing nothing but watching television and drinking beer or whatever. You know, We needed a term for the sluggards of the world besides sluggard, you know, something new. Uh-huh. And um, the term is so successful now that I don't think any dictionary gives it its trademark, even though it was trademarked. I think it's completely generic, and it's so generic that you can do things like call a dog a couch potato. And, and of course, there's the variant mouse potato as well, which is somebody who kind of lies around using the computer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. mouse potato, click potato I've seen. Tons of, yeah. Lots it's, of it's, potatoes. It spawns a lot, a lot of variants, so... So anyway, that's a, it's, you know, it's a great question. It's a good one that you asked because so few words do we know the backstory, and this is one of them. Hmm. Well, thank you so much. Lynn, I'm, thanks for I'm calling. I'm glad to help you, Lynn. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. So if you're sitting around on the couch and thinking about language, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673, or you can email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Susanna from Hi, Indianapolis. Hello, Susanna. What's what's happening there in Indianapolis? Well, I just had a question about um, a phrase that I heard my grandmother use this past Thanksgiving. 
Mm-hmm. And um, she, we were all sitting around the dining table eating Thanksgiving, and my grandmother started choking, or coughing, and then she finished coughing, and she said, that went down my Sunday throat. And I'd never heard this phrase used before, and I was wondering if you guys knew the origins. Down her Sunday throat. Yeah. <laughs> so she choked on something. Yeah, yeah. The the most common um, use, I guess, for the same kind of scenario would be like it went down my windpipe. I've heard that before, but I mm-hmm. never heard it went down my Sunday throat. Uh-huh. Did you ask your grandmother about it? Yeah, I did, and she really didn't have any any answer for me. She said that's what they always used when they were growing up. That's just a common phrase that they used. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with this. In fact, I used it uh, a couple of weeks ago because oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, and the, <laughs> as far as we know, the idea is that at least in Christian traditions, Sunday is a different day of the week. You know, it's it's uh, special uh-huh. and it's it's unusual compared to Monday through Saturday, right? And so, if something goes down your your special alternative other throat, it's it's sort of a joking reference to your windpipe. Oh, okay. I see. That makes sense. You do see Sunday used in different ways like that. I mean, Sunday go to meet and clothes or, or special clothes. And do, mm-hmm. you, do you know what your Sunday face is? No, no. Well, it's your derriere. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. It's kind of your other alternative face, you know, those other alternative cheeks, that kind of thing. Right, right. So it's it's a pretty uh, simple explanation. I'm delighted to hear this phrase. I haven't heard it in a while except for uh, my own use of it. Wow, I really appreciate you guys uh, giving me that answer. I've been curious about it since Thanksgiving, so ah, well, I appreciate great. it. Well, thanks for calling. Thank you, Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, I've also seen um, one's windpipe referred to as Sunday Lane or Sunday Pipe, but the idea uh, there, again, is, is something different from, from the usual. Out of the ordinary. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I love that. Did you grow up with that expression? I never heard it. No, uh, it was always the windpipe. Uh, you know, my, my family is, is rural and is... Southern, some of them are, weren't particularly colorful. Well, if a linguistic question is sticking in your craw, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org or you can post a question in our discussion forum. That address is waywardradio.org slash discussion. Martha, a while back we did a call about creaky voice. Do you remember that one? Of course. It's kind of the opposite of falsetto. It's when people speak with this low, almost gravelly voice in in a kind of a confiding way, as if they've got something to tell you with um, some kind of sincerity or maybe it's a little secret or they kind of want you to believe what they're saying, right? I picture them, you know, shrugging their shoulders a little bit. Maybe. Shoulders up around their ears. Well, a lot of people emailed us about that. They were delighted, first of all, to find out that there's a term for something that they'd long since noticed, and, and most of them said they noticed it in the speech of young women, which right. it does feature there, but men do it too. And a couple people emailed us and said, you know what? I need more examples. I think I know what you're talking about. I'm pretty sure. But can you play some sounds for us of people speaking with a creaky voice? So we found some. And here they are. Take a listen to this and tell me what you think. This is actually like an apartment building. It's weird. We're like on the third floor. And I mean, they broke up and got back together like five, six times, something like that. As you can hear, Martha, they kind of drop their voice. It's a different tone, right? It's not a normal speaking voice. It's it's almost intimate. I mean, not necessarily sexually or romantically intimate, but personally intimate. Yeah, or almost apologetic or, or like they don't care or something. Do you I'm, think it makes the speaker sound a little more likable? 
Like, uh, like, does, no. did it make you feel a little more friendly towards them? No. Oh, that's interesting. Does it work for you? Well, a little bit, because, and that's definitely one of the features of some creaky voice speech. As we said on the, the first time we talked about this, creaky voice is used for a lot of different reasons in a lot of different languages by a lot of different people. But one of the uses is to make the other person feel more friendly towards you. Hmm. We'll have links to these audio clips on our website, and you can listen there. And I'll see if I can dig up a few more. And in the meantime, if you have a question about any aspect of language, call us, 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWARD. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. More word games and your calls. Stay tuned. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett, and it's time for our slang game. Our contestant today is June Casagrande from Pasadena, California. She's also the author of Mortal Syntax, 101 Language Choices That Will Get You Clobbered by the Grammar Snobs, Even If You're Right. Ouch. June, welcome. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. Am I a grammar snob? No, definitely not. You guys are the kinds of people who like to uh, who like to seek out answers and who take a very academic, interested, fascinated approach to the language, as opposed to the people who want to take a very narrow, don't find answers view. Oh, uh-huh. super yeah. duper! You know, I've 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 read the book, and I have to say, you do a fair amount of clobbering of your own, don't you? <laughs> I, do <indeed. laughs> I definitely walk both sides of the fence for comedic effect, but it's all in the name of trying to promote good information. So, yeah, I definitely a uh, I definitely cheat a bit in my approach, but it's, uh, it's all to serve the reader in the end, and I hope they appreciate it. Hey, June, speaking of words, do you have a favorite slang term for us? You know, I think my favorite slang term of late is probably weasel. And I don't even know if that qualifies as slang. It's just a really fun word to say, and I think when I say it, at least, it qualifies as slang. Weasel? Just a weasel. Just he's a weasel. It's better as a verb, too. Uh, don't weasel out of that. Don't weasel out of paying the bill, mm. that kind of thing. Mm. Isn't there a song called Weasels Ate My Brain? Uh, I don't know, but there should <laughs> Sounds be. Sounds like a Frank Zappa song. <laughs> well, let's see how you do with our slang quiz. Okay. I'll give you a clue that describes one of two possible slang words or phrases. Only one of them is correct, and your job is to pick the right one. It's pretty simple, but if you get stuck, Martha's standing by to help, okay? Okay. All right, here we go. Number one. You could call it an airport, an aerodrome, an airstrip, or a big pain in the neck, but an undercover cop might call it A, the hot wings, or B, a bird farm. Which one of these is another name for an airport? Wow. That's tough. Um, <laughs> My job is done. <laughs> can I guess, or should I look to my Oh, yeah, help? just... Just guess. I'm a, my, 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 uh, my slang mojo says bird farm. Bird farm. Your slang mojo is on target. It is bird farm. <laughs> right. Supposedly, bird farm is what police use when they're working undercover and talking, say, on an open radio frequency or on a, on a phone, and they don't want to, people who might be listening in to know that they're talking about an airport. But you've got to tell you, to me, it seems a little transparent if you'd say, yeah, I'm going to the bird farm, I, you know. Unless you live in chicken territory somewhere in Arkansas, most people probably would think of an airport. June, let's try another one. See how this one goes, all right? A camper carries a backpack and a mess kit. An artist carries a portfolio. A hobo carries a bindle. What might a tinker carry? You know, a tinker is someone who travels from place to place fixing things. Does a tinker carry a budget, B-U-D-G-E-T, or a bull's belly, B-U-L-L? 
L apostrophe S B E L L Y. Bull's belly. I have these are great questions. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> oh no! But I think, but I have a feeling of what I'd want to carry if I were a tinker. If I were a tinker, it sounds like I've got wings and I go around on tiptoes. But I would want to be tough, so I'd want to carry something really bold and tough, sounding like a bull's belly. Yes. That's my guess. Your guess? You think tinker is something related to a tinker bell? No, um, it it does start with a T, right? Yes, yes, Tinker, T-I-N-K-E-R. Tinker is uh, someone who fixes things. Um, right, but it has that connotation. It has a sort of, uh, it has a delicate connotation, and if okay. I were a Tinker, I would probably want to counteract that with something kind of tough-sounding. Okay, okay, uh, but unfortunately the answer is A, budget, B-U-D-G-E-T. Huh? And here's why. Budget can mean a leather bag, pouch, a pack, something like that. Both this meaning of budget and the budget in terms of, you know, a financial budget come from the same source, which is an old French word, bougette, B-U-G-E-T-T-E, and it means a small bag. And and the history of how it came to refer to something money-related is that in the U.K., at some point in the history of the country, it became custom for the government officials to be said to opening the budget, meaning kind of metaphorically opening up the money bags when they talked about financial matters. And then, by extension, budget became a way of talking about any kind of financial statement or plan. I bet if my two and a half years of French had been three years of French, I could have gotten that one. <laughs> no, it's a little archaic. I think, you're, I think you're fine. You're on good territory. There is a line in Shakespeare's The Winter Tale where he uses the word. He says, if tinkers may have leave to live and bear the sowskin budget. So maybe, maybe the Shakespearean uh, experts who are listening caught that one. Well, June, I thought you did really well, and I liked your reasoning. <laughs> Yeah, the reasoning is all the it's all in the fun, right? It's called wild guesses followed by backpedaling. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks for playing. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you, Jim. Bye-bye. Well, you can call us anytime about grammar or slang or word origins or any other aspect of language. The number's 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWORD. Or you can email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. My name is Summer. I'm from Dallas. My story uh, that I wanted to share with you takes place probably in 1992 or 93 when I was in high school. And um, I had a friend who was from Cape Town, South Africa. Mm-hmm. And the first time that we went to pick him up from his house, uh, he gave us directions through email, and we didn't really proof them. We just printed them up. And it wasn't until we got across town toward his place that we realized he used a word. He used a word that we'd never heard before in this context. He told us to take a right at the robot. At the robot? To take a right at the robot? Correct. To take a right at the robot. Uh huh. <laughs> and it was around Christmas time. Ironically, just as a side, it was around Christmas time, and he right where this supposed right was supposed to be, we thought there was a mall with these robotic statues <laughs> in front of it. <laughs> so to turn right at the robots would have put us into the mall, and we knew that he didn't live there. <laughs> So well, have, we but... began, <laughs> we actually began turning right at everything we could think of that could be a robot, <laughs> but it, it, it was very confusing. We never did find his house. <laughs> there were no bright, shiny humanoids. <laughs> warning, warning, <laughs> danger. Will no, Robinson. you know, the dating stood still. It did not happen. 
Um, it turns out, though, that what he meant was the street lights, the traffic lights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've never heard them referred to as robots since, and I've actually I've done traveling outside of the U.S. Uh-huh. and I've I'd never heard them referred to as robots before. Uh-huh. So I just thought that was pretty funny. Well, Summer, um, had you gone so, to South Africa, you would have heard everybody talking about the robots. Oh, really? Yes. Yes, that is that is the term in South Africa since uh, the 1930s or so. I think I can explain why that meaning seems so odd to us. Okay. <laughs> the fact that it dates to the 1930s is the clue. The word is just about that old. The word was new then, and mm-hmm. there were a lot of, in the early days of the use of the word robot, there were a lot of weird applications of it. They weren't necessarily all towards these machines that looked and behaved like humans. And so this particular use stuck around. And you've seen it used over the, the decades to mean anything kind of mechanical or automated that mm-hmm. might do the job used, that used to be done by a human. You're using the word robotic and automated sort of interchangeably. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So instead of having a human standing on the street corner between the lanes of traffic waving stop and go signs, you put a machine up to do it. That's really fascinating, yeah. It really, okay. Yeah, it makes me want to move to South Africa just so I can say, sorry I'm late, I got caught by the robots. <laughs> oh, if the robot was malfunctioning, I couldn't make it today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's great. Oh, well, thank you very much. That was really interesting. All right. Oh, cool. Thanks for your interesting question. Oh, yes. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Grant, I have told you before that I do have a special fascination with traffic lights. Um, just just because I had a little toy traffic light as a child. And what then... does your doctor say? <laughs> Caution. Um, <laughs> you know, and then later, later in high school, I kind of collected them a little bit. But the other thing that I've been collecting is words for traffic light in other languages. Oh, really now? Yes, and my favorite is the official Hebrew word for traffic light because, of course, in Israel you, you have to come up with all these words for new things, new technology, because mm-hmm. the, the language is thousands of years old. The word is ramzor, and it comes from a word that means hint or wink. And, 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 I th- and I think the idea, I don't know if it's because a traffic light in Israel is just sort of a suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe you should slow down now because there's maybe a Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. It's up to you. Oh, We're not going to tell you what to do, but whatever you want to do. Slow down already yet. Well, maybe go. Well, if you've got a call about something like that, some strange word you heard in another language you thought was English, we'd like to help you figure it out. Our number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or you can send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hi, who's this? This is Pam from Dallas. Pam, welcome. Well, hello, Pam. Thank you. What's up? Um, in my uh, job as a copy editor and a proofreader for a website and a think tank, I read a lot of different kinds of articles and studies. And over time, I am increasingly finding more and more references to Internet um, works, blogs, e-books, Internet radio shows, Internet TV shows. And I can't seem to find a primary go-to resource for how to style them. I use a lot of AP in Chicago, but they sometimes disagree. So my, my question is, is there a primary resource for styling titles on the Internet? And this, this uh, style that you're in search of is for what kind of publication? 
uh, online, both uh, websites and um, also studies, academic studies. All right, so this is uh, for a variety of different places or for yeah. one place? So for a variety of different places. You, I see, you're a freelancer or, or, yeah, or yes, something. Exactly, okay, there exactly. we go. Here's the crux of this whole dilemma. Two things. First, a lot of people have made style guides for the Internet. Mm-hmm. Most of them have not been widely adopted. Right. And second is that style is a matter of either institutional or personal preference. There is no, just by the definition of style alone, there is no universal rule for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's what you decide to do or your institution or company or what have you, the publication decides to do. And so what I would encourage you to do is work up your own personal style guide. Adopt Chicago for the most part. Pick the parts of the AP style guide that you believe um, to be useful or, 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 or not in complete contradiction to the Chicago style. And then develop a style that you use that you consistently can fall back on and say, well, I don't know what this, you know, I don't know what this newspaper is going to want from me, but let me use my own personal style because it's worked so well for me in the past. Because mm-hmm. they're probably editing the heck out of what you're writing anyway and changing your style um, you know, before it reaches print or press, right? Or are you the last uh, line? I'm more often the last line, actually, oh, okay. Um, okay. Uh, which is why it's this... important that I can go to, uh, you know, have a primary resource. Or... Well, yeah, you need you need to have a higher power to call down when somebody questions your choices, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that would be us. Just call us. <laughs> we do use both AP and Chicago. It's only because they conflict sometimes that um, um, I wondered if there was yet another source. I know there's a book out there called Wired, but that's a 10-year-old book now. Yeah, right. exactly. And it, again, it was never widely adopted. I, I would I would always uh, prefer Chicago over the AP Style Guide. For one thing, Chicago is more comprehensive. For two, mm-hmm. I think it allows for a lot more choice on the part of the writer or copy editor. Um, AP Style, don't forget, is for a particular group of journalists. And I know it's widely adopted within the, the the journalism world, but it's it's for the Associated Press and right, that's right. their business and it's their institution, it's their in-house guide. A lot of the publications you're writing for probably have some sort of style guide of their own, don't they? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. But I've just always wondered if there was something special for no. these these newer um, um, kinds of electronic communication that are that we're coming out with. No, it's, right. to the best yet. of my knowledge, and this question comes up online and off and in person and everywhere. People ask this question of us a lot. And to the best of my knowledge, there is no standard, but a lot of people rely heavily upon Chicago. They love the idea that they can go to this respected work when they're challenged and say, well, the Chicago Manual of Style, which is used by the universe, says you're wrong. <laughs> Pam, I hope, I hope that we've come some way to give you an answer. Well, it's certainly um, um, given me a way to go to my senior editor and say, they said Chicago. <laughs> right, yeah. we did. Okay. Well, best of luck to you then, Pam. All right. Great. Thank you. Talk Bye-bye. To you Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. One eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven Wayward, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, yes, this is Bruce Kinsey from Indianapolis, Indiana. Hello, Hi, Bruce. Bruce. What's up? I've heard something used uh, by old timers and mentioned by my mother, who grew up on a farm. It was a work brickle, meaning to indicate someone's either work brickle or they're not as being lazy or they're effective at at their job and i don't hear it used by in common usage today but i just wondered you know where'd that come from mm-hmm. bruce how how do you spell that well the way i spell it 
it's phonetically. I mean, I just, I don't know. It's B-R-I-C-K-E-L-L is mm-hmm. the way I guessed at it. Mm-hmm. So W-O-R-K-B-R-I-C-K-E-L-L. This is, yeah. this is familiar, Martha, right? Right. And they're two different words, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you're in Indiana. That's interesting because that's, that's where I've heard of it the most. Here's the short story on this, is that this goes back to the dialects of uh, the British Isles. And it's, um, it's got pockets of usage here in the United States. I actually had a reason to ask the chief editor of the Dictionary of American Regional English about this exact expression earlier this year. And, and she replied to me and gave me a little bit of information that they haven't published yet. So here's a big scoop for you. Um, she says that uh, uh, they'll probably put it under the spelling of work brittle, B-R-I-T-T-L-E, which is a little more common. But there's uh-huh. also an entry in the English dialect dictionary, which is from the late 1800s, for work bracco, B-R-A-C-C-O. So like a lot of dialect expressions, the spelling, there are many spelling variants. And it's got two primary meanings. As you say, one of them means eager to work or energetic or you know, enthusiastic and industrious, that kind of thing, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. But but the other one is exactly the opposite. It means lazy or uh, to be a sluggard. So if you are a, a work br- you can be a work brickle, meaning that you are a lazy person. And this happens sometimes with dialect expressions, especially if they're they're mostly spoken aloud and not put in print. They do sometimes ha- suffer an inversion of meaning to mean exactly the opposite. I've heard it used for meaning, you know, so if someone's work brickle, it means that they're a good worker here, mm-hmm. used here. And if he isn't very work brickle, I've heard that used quite a bit. That means they're lazy. But I, mm-hmm. other than that, that's all I've heard here. All right. And, and you're saying you don't use it, but it's uh, the older generation that you heard use it. Yeah, that exactly. I asked a friend of mine today who's 65 who lives out in the country, and I asked him if he's heard of that before. He goes, oh, yeah, I've heard of it, but it's only the old timers that use that. Yeah, I definitely would say that this is probably this one is probably headed for the uh, the archaic list. It's uh, it's not that common, and it's so odd that it's hard to like grasp and get on first hearing. All right, well, thank you so much for your call, Bruce. All right, thank you very much. I, right. Thanks for straightening that out. Sure thing. Sure. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. If there's something the older generation says that you don't understand, give us a call one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven wayward. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. That's our show for this week. Support for our program comes from Mosey Online Backup. Got data? Visit mozy.com. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime at 1-877-929-9673. Or email your questions to words at waywardradio.org. Or join the conversation right now on our discussion forum. You'll find it at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also engineered our theme music. Kurt Conan produced it. We've had production help this week from Michael Bagdasian and Josette Herdell. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from the Argo Network in New York City, I'm Grant Barrett. Sayonara. Bye-bye. And oh, if we ever part, that would break my heart. So I say oyster, you say oyster. I'm not going to stop eating oysters. Just cause you say oysters, let's call the whole thing off.